Shout out my nigga, he big on conspiracy R.I.P. Kelly, we feeling your spirit I had to put this shit up on the internet Cause I know they want to take it so serious I told a hater he don't want to listen He better go take up his ears Michelle Obama is a boy We don't Jamaica no tears Obama a gay Jiggas, I'm joking on me, don't never be serious Alistair 99 and my nigga for real Yeah, I fuck with my peers Had to make me a channel to talk about the real Cause I know they gon' hear Alistair 99 and my nigga for real Nah, I know they gon' hear Children of all ages, welcome to the Conspiracy Castle. I am your conspiracy asshole, and we have a very, very special guest today. We have the one, the only Jason Burmish. You know him from InfoWars. You know him from Loose Change. You know, uh, let me just get the party started. Jason, with with uh, I could come and, and read your resume all day long, but it's not. I'm not here to do that. I'm here to find out some good information. And with that, I want to say thank you. It's an honor to have you on the Conspiracy Castle here today. How are you doing, my friend? I am doing uh, very well, and uh, I really liked the uh, Rockfin uh, meme slash advertisement that you put out there. And, uh, you know, I remember when we did the Union of the Unwanted, uh, I forgot that you would contact me. I saw that, and I had just previously seen uh, your intro before you, you played it here on some other one. And I'm a big Pitbull fan. I'm like, that's a gorgeous dog. I got to do this guy's show. So uh, very excited to be here. Wow, what an honor. So I'm happy that the content that I create, somebody, it invokes some sort of a response. Like that actually makes me feel good because, you know, there's not enough people, Jason, like you. I think you're one of the first people that was like an independent journalist, independent content creator, like, you know, you and Luke Rutkowski. I'm saying, you know, a lot of people have been doing this for a long time and you're one of them. How did you actually get awake to doing you know to what's going on because I remember going to New York City in two thousand seven eight nine and seeing like signs nanothermite you know brought down the towers and I'm thinking oh well, that's whatever that's a nut and you were hip to it so how did you become hip to this so fast you know I guess that I'm just kind of one of those guys that likes to look into things and the secrets of the universe and never really bought into everything as a kid so for me you know other than porn. <laughs> when uh, the internet had hit, right? Let's all be honest. And even then, like the like late 90s porn on the internet, guys, you're talking about pictures. People were still buying magazines. I just want to let everybody know. Dude, wait, Jason, that's the problem with society. They're de desensitized. I had the same magazine for years. Okay, go ahead. I'm saying I had the same thing folded under my bed for years. Uh, they don't well, do that anymore. Well, I didn't want to make this all about porn. But again, if you're going to be honest, right? Honest, like. Yeah biggest business on the internet. It was obviously that, and that was, you know, at the time I'm a teenager into my early twenties. That's obviously one of the things the internet was big with. But for me, aside from that, uh, I had read a lot of things on 
JFK and the CIA and UFOs and quote unquote aliens and all these different things. But the shows on television were few and far between. You had to go to a library. There was really no way to fact check or look at other corroborating information. So when I'm learning about MK Ultra, I'm basically seeing like 90 second media pieces on it. And if that, and it's not like there's a DVR box, it's a one-time thing. So when I actually get the opportunity in the late nineties to grab the MK ultra documents, one of the first things I did, we're one of the first Wait, things did I you did. Get those? What do you mean? We grab them off the internet. I'm just, that's like, yeah. as soon as the internet, I'm just saying, as soon as the internet got, you're telling me though, Jason, as soon as the internet opened, you started looking up conspiracy stuff. Well, I, I wouldn't say it, it exactly like that because, again, I'm, I'm a poor kid in my teenager. So, yeah. l- like, for the evolution of me, you know, and what the Internet actually was, right, it was all of a sudden it wasn't that I was just in typing class anymore and doing word processing uh, and playing Oregon Trail on computers. <laughs> you know, my neighbor, whose father was a lawyer, they had a personal computer at home and they were on AOL, right? So, like, I, I can tell you right now my very first experience with the Internet was even pre AOL in some other chat room with a group of us. And um, actually it's kind of funny, Ryan Nobles, who is like one of the big CNN anchors, he ends up marrying the girl who's basically typing uh, I don't want to give away her name, but she, but she was the older sister of my friend and we were all sitting there and we were talking to somebody in another state, dude, that okay. was unheard of. Forget yeah. about me and you conversing right now in 1080p and broadcasting worldwide where anybody with a connection can get it. We were talking to people that was wow. Okay. <clears throat> so then as I went to college, Right. Uh, and, and had more access. I, I get my first uh, PC because my great aunt passes away. Uh, I get my first like few thousand dollars. Right. In, in inheritance. And I'm like, I'm going to get a car and I'm going to get a, a PC. And I did that. So now as soon as I have access outside of school, uh, I'm really interested to see what I can get document wise on a lot of these different things. And MK Ultra was one of the first things that I looked into, um, you know, again, being into UFOs. Uh, the Majestic 12 documents, although people had said they were a hoax, I was hip to them. I wanted to see what they said. So I was kind of on these journeys and I still go on these journeys quite a bit because um, not so much for that type of stuff, but now historical books that have been uh, put into PDF format that are a hundred plus years old on maybe uh, masonry or ancient mysteries or certain types of religion and paganism and occultism. That's always been something I've been fascinated with. So I always used it as a tool. You know, I was the guy, for instance, now I have my own PC, right? And I went to school for computer graphics. And at the time, as a kid, I was kind of an artist. Uh, I got most artistic. I was drawing. My fantasy was that I was going to go to art school and I was going to like draw on the Simpsons or something, right? That was my big. That was your dream. You want to be an illustrator. That's pretty cool. Well, I wanted to be an animator. Uh, I remember... a lot of people don't understand this because they're not from my generation, but Toy Story was a big deal for me. Uh, the very first Toy Story was a movie I went with my friends to, and I said, wow, this is going to change everything. And 3D modeling was something I was well, Real quick, in. did you see Tim Allen got taken out of Toy Story? Yeah, I did. Yeah, he's no what? longer buzzed. Dude, what? The original Tim Allen? Woody? How the, I mean, is he, Wood? no, he's, he's Buzz Lightyear, right? Buzz Lightyear. Dude. Well, they have a, a Buzz series and it's not him. And, you know, people are pretty upset about it. I, I understand that. that. You know? That's all because of his politics.
politics, dude. They, they, and, and he was the same guy. He got arrested for cocaine a long time ago. They didn't care about that. They didn't care that he was a drug dealer, which I don't care about. I'm just saying, I like Tim uh, uh, Tim Allen. He's funny. Tool man, uh, dude. Uh, Tool time was like that was a that was show was one of my favorite shows as a kid. Jonathan Taylor Thomas was like a, a popular kid on it. That was that show was a hit show, and he was the lead star too. I remember that show like it was yesterday. What I'm saying is. He's a guy that got taken out because of his political views. He was, you just said how Toy Story, Toy Story was a monumental movie by Pixar and we can get into the occultism of Disney and all the symbolism of that. But I'm saying he was like the freaking Buzz Lightyear from one of the biggest, it would be like Simba. I don't know. I forget who played Simba or Phil Collins, you know, or Elton John uh, taking them, you know, from, from uh, composing the Lion King and be like, no, you can't compose the next one. I mean, these people are legendary people. You can't just take them out. Uh, because it, it just ruins all of our history. It's like taking down a Confederate statue. It's 1984, George Orwell, and we get it right in front of our face, and nobody even complains except for me when Tim Allen gets booted from the new uh, Toy Story. <laughs> well, you know, just to kind of side uh, track into Toy Story, Toy Story 3 um, is really an, uh, a metaphor for a police state. If you haven't ever seen it, um, and I t and it was very different than the first two. It had a real political uh, motive. I was really shocked about this. Um, coincidentally, Ed Asner, who plays this authoritarian, like Air Bear type figure in the prison camp, basically it's a play school that he runs, and he you know plays it all nice and oh we're here for security. Ed Asner uh, was a big 9/11 truth guy. He passed this year, uh, unfortunately, but he uh, brought a lot of people into that arena. So, you know, just to kind of go back to where I was at as a kid in, in the 90s, while everybody else was using Napster, and certainly I was as well, I was looking at the Notella and Nutella networks. I was looking at Kazaa, Morpheus, all the file share networks before All the Torrance. viruses on your computers, your poor computers did no viruses. <laughs> Those are well, so not, not ever, but I'll tell you this, I was pretty savvy. So uh, luckily, again, uh, one of the things about being into the computer graphics is the lab was open 24 seven, right? So the vast majority of what I was learning at the time was from other students. Okay. And now that was basically Mac. That was mostly work-based, but obviously hardware stuff you would start to get into. But then one of my roommates uh, really knew networking and taking them apart and putting them together very well. So I was always pretty good. Like every once in a while, a hard drive might get it, but I was the guy that could take the hard drive out put it into another computer via USB, scan it for those viruses and get rid of them. Um, so I, I had um, folders full of old school documentaries and whatever I could find on there, all sorts of media. And that's really how I got into loose change, to be honest. You know, that takes me forward to uh, post 9-11 uh, when those networks started to get bigger and even torrents became a thing. I'd amassed so much that I was burning CDs of folders of raw videos, uh, some of which you would end up seeing in the Loose Change series. So I, I wasn't involved in the original Loose Change at all. Uh, I was, again, this guy who was going around and handing out these videos and looking up all these different things. And one of the first things on 9-11 that I had found um, after kind of having my revelation that 9-11 was a scam, and that wasn't right away either. That's a whole nother story was uh, Road to Tyranny by Alex Jones. And uh, it was this real media file is a two plus hour movie. And this is what I'm talking about. You didn't want to get your porn there. Uh, it was like 144 P 
It was off. Like the audio was off. It was almost impossible to watch. It was like yeah. off the 56, you know, KB DSL nonsense, but we watched the whole thing. You were starved for content back then too. And that was awesome. I mean, you know, that was one of the few Alex Jones creating that you just didn't have, there wasn't anybody else doing that. There, there was other things out there that I had seen that were better produced. Uh, there was a thing called a uh, guerrilla news network. Well, at and the there's time. Art Bell. I mean, there's some conspiracy people, but I'm just saying, you know, Alex Jones, you don't think. See, that's the difference. Like I wasn't that guy that was watching like Art Bell or anything like that. Um, I only, the UFO stuff was very, I was very big into, but really it was, uh, because there was tapes of these craft, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I, I also had realized, at least uh, in the late 90s, that you know my government, probably the CIA in conjunction with others, had killed Kennedy. But I always thought, ah, he was probably a shithead and he deserved it, right? Mm -hmm. I still had that attitude. I had this attitude that, you know, we're number one. Look how much America rocks. dissonance is what that's called. Well, in a way, but... At that time, you got to understand. You know your government's lying to you, and you, you know, you're okay with it. Isn't that the definition of cognitive dissonance? No, because I had accepted it, but I had thought it was because it was a good thing, right? Because I looked at, uh, I looked at the society that had developed. I hadn't understood what the Vietnam War was afterwards. I didn't understand what the first Gulf War was, and remember, that was the first televised war. That's my generation, and it was only, it was very short. It was very short lived. It was we're in, we're out. And then it was a great time of peace. Like that happened, you know, when I was around 10 years old and it wasn't until I was, I'm out of college that nine 11 happens. Right. There, you're thinking at this point, man, we just went in there. We pumped and dumped. We're out. We took out the terrorists. No one's going to fuck with us anymore. Right. This is it. So, and again, at that time, they'd still been pumping up Russia as the big enemy my whole life. Right. The Ruskies, I did duck and cover drills as a kid. Right. The communism. So like I went to Woodstock 99, I turned 20 there. You went to Woodstock 99. That's one of the most famous. Did you see the red hot chili peppers play? I mean, did you see? So I left the day, the, the night before all the riots, because I'd been there since Thursday. Uh, I have a very different time. I loved my time there, but I was running around screaming things like fucking Russia doesn't have this. And you know, communism, you know, yeah, just all dude, this. Dude, if you really went a time machine, was that like when humanity was last, a even though humanity wasn't pure, but it was a little pure before nine 11 after nine 11, it was like, it rotted. Uh, it was like the rot. It, it was the it was rust. Rot You're not wrong. Like I, I gotta be honest. Like there was a, it's not just because I was like a kid and 20 and, and having fun. There was a lot of electricity. I, I remember that very fondly. And the media has now spun that, that 99 was like the, the, the summer of hate or whatever. And it's like white supremacy. The There's 90s that was the best. Even the art, the music. Listen, Jason, if you could look at the top movies of 1996, it's like Fight Club, Pulp Fiction. If you look at the top movies of 2016, it's like Cars 3, uh, Toy Story, or whatever. And, and it's all these remakes. And it's, dude, go to any year. Go to any year from the 90s and compare it to any year in the 2010s. Dude, it is laughable. You're like, what do you mean the same year? Because some of these years in the 90s, there was 25 movies that were like incredible movies. You know what I mean? Like the 25th best movie of 1996 would be the best movie of the year now. Uh, and it's just that shows you the art, the degradation of society. It's like because we have to check boxes because it's also about sensitivity training and all about, you know, sending a hidden message through propaganda that it's not about art and entertainment anymore. So we can't get anything actually pure that the 90s might have been the last form. Even that was probably Tavistock influence, but it at least seemed the most pure, you know? I think a lot of great artwork came out of the nineties. And I think that again, a lot of 
you know, not only music, but you're right. Movies. Uh, I may be biased cause that is kind of my era, but ha- having also lived through the eighties, there's a stark difference. Like it's eighties is very kind of commercialized and almost a mirror of what we saw. We see now in, in the sense, like Superman was the biggest movies and the biggest movies now are that. And then believe me, the Superman movies still hold up. There was still some story there. Richard Donner uh, did a, a damn good job. But when the nineties came around and there was kind of this, this story-based influence, right. And now the production values up and now special effects are to the point where you can get away with a lot of things. Like you look at Forrest Gump, right? Forrest Gump by today's standards, what, what special effects, right? But in a time that you could tell a period piece that went through many decades and all of a sudden implant Tom Hanks convincingly into stock footage, that that's kind of one of the reasons that I wanted to go be a computer artist. I wanted to be able to do these things, right? I wanted to be able to know how this worked or how they even got rid of um, Lieutenant Dan's legs uh, very convincingly. There's a lot of subtle things in that movie that wouldn't have been possible in the 80s, right? There would have been- you know the one film flub from that movie though? What do you mean the film flip? Film flub from that movie. Oh, what is it? There is one, isn't there? I think I do know. Does it have to do with Lieutenant Dan? No, it has to do with the horses. When the horses are going through, it's showing uh, Forrest Gump's great-great-grandfather, and he's in the KKK. And if you look closely, uh-huh. if the horse is coming up, you can clearly see tire tracks, like fresh. You know, they're in the mud, and it's like fresh. I'm just saying, if you look at it, you, if you're watching the movie, you wouldn't pay attention. But if you're a film extra, you look at it. I mean, fr- it couldn't be any fresher, you know, tires like, oh, there wouldn't be like it was clearly tire tracks. You could almost see the Firestone or whatever the, you know, the uh, but that this is funny. That's a little I love film clubs. No, no, I'm with you, man. Movie. Listen, again, that's a great piece of art. And uh, I think that's 94. And it's the same year that Pulp Fiction came out and Shawshank Redemption came out. Shawshank Redemption, and- best movie ever. Great movie. And that's a Stephen King number. A lot of people don't realize that, you know, they get them for horror, but that's probably, that's probably my second favorite movie based on a Stephen King book, uh, running man, hands down the best. Right. But awesome. even running man, with Arnold, with that, that, that's going to happen today. We're going to have a modern day running man. I, squid games. Is it squid games? Just running man, basically, except for with it. And I haven't even watched squid games. I haven't watched it either, yeah. but for those that aren't familiar with. No, no. Oh, Oh my God! It did it drop out? Please tell me. Ugh. Oh my God! Almighty no, dude! No, Jason. Ugh. And uh, you have this police officer in a helicopter that's told to fire upon the citizens, refuses to do so. They fake the video that he did it anyway, kill those people, arrest him, and then put him in a contest that's like what was American Gladiators at the time in the 80s, right, and into the early 90s as well. Only you kill these people. And um, if you make it through, then you get an island vacation. And it's so funny. The person that gets the island vacation is Geraldo Rivera, by the way, guys. So Geraldo Rivera got through the running man. And then uh, you find out later, not only did that not happen, but Geraldo's dead. And um, they show you a real-time deep fake fight between the Schwarzenegger character and the Jesse Ventura character. It's a very, very profound picture that's held up. But imagine it was made in the 90s with all that tech. It would be even more profound. There's still that 80s cheese, 
Still done amazingly. Love that movie. Yeah, the Running Man is great. But while you're talking, of course, this my internet has been. We have it all recorded, but it, the internet, this feed dropped. We had uh, like 120 people, and now it came back. I don't know why. I just got this fiber internet. I don't want to complain about the internet. I'm paying like 90 bucks a month for this super internet, and about every I have what I have fiber. A gig up and down. You should be having no problems. Bro. I have a gig like, up and down. I have a gig up and down, but it's happened. My last year interview, sometimes it just all of a sudden it just drops out for one second enough for the whole stream to drop. Are you hardlined into your computer? I'm hardlined. Dude, I'm so hardlined in. Like, I, this is the thing is, I, we, I didn't lose enough internet connection where I didn't lose you. You and I stayed, but I lost just enough where it disconnected us from YouTube. It's ridiculous. I, and I, I, I got the viruses, bro. I exactly. Think you need I probably do. Dude, I'm not a fucking computer geek. Dude, I don't fucking, J Jason, I'm a fucking mental patient. I'm an insane asylum patient trying to run a TV show by, you know, a YouTube online show by myself. It's a fucking pain in the ass. I love it. Just like you love it. I enjoy doing it. But if one if if one thing can go wrong, it does, dude. You know, like of course the internet. But I bought this backup internet thing, and I'm thinking, can I can I bridge my internet connection so I have a backup? Is that possible? Well, you would basically just send your um, your Wi-Fi to automatically connect to that, and then if you were uh, all of a sudden off on your hardline connection, it should automatically connect to the Wi-Fi that would be separate. Um, but again. We're not trying to get too techy here. Um, you no, should, but this you is should... all recorded, so it doesn't matter. So I just have to delete the live stream and then I'll repost it. But I'm saying we're live. We're back live. There's a hundred people watching. But I'm just saying, you know, it's just a pain in my derriere having to do this when I'm talking to Jason Burmis. I finally get to, you know, I've been wanting to talk to you for a while. And like I said, you know, the you know the streaming software is jacking with me. The freaking internet's jacking with me. I just and you know, I just can't catch a break lately. It feels like that. And how, what about you? How has your luck been lately, Jason? You seem like a positive guy because I normally am. But, uh, you know, how do you stay positive in the time? Now, I want to hear about, you know, loose change real quick, but I I'm saying right now, how do you stay positive in a time when you know things are so bleak? Well, I'll tell you what, man, like uh, it was really in my revelations on the way to like 9-11, like finding that Alex Jones video, trying to prove him wrong and not being able to and then finding other things. And uh, basically the first version of loose change and then by chance meeting these guys. Um, through a guy that I worked with at a pizza place. I've been handing out those discs I told you I was burning. That before that, and that's years down the line, like I figured this out about six months to a year afterwards, right? That we'd been lied too big. And that was dark. About what year back. would you say? Um, it, in 2002 at some point. For wow, sure. right after. I mean, that. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Well, was, yeah. was... We're talking like pre, you know, Big time pre YouTube. Um, no pre YouTube then. Yeah. Oh, not even close. Yeah. Like you had nothing yeah. like that. That it was even close to that platform out there. Uh, you had uh, MySpace and uh, I think MySpace and I'm, I wasn't even on Facebook probably for another like six yeah, seven years. Facebook didn't come out till like 2005, and that came out right around the same time as YouTube, I believe. Honestly. Yeah, I think maybe MySpace was around, but if that, you know, Isn't that weird? we lived in a time that was pre YouTube. What the hell? We sound like dinosaurs, and we're not that old. Dinosaur. No, we're not. I mean, it feels like that, but what, you know, you're talking about Napster. Some of these kids like, hey, we had Napster. That was the original fire sh file sharing program. They'd be like, what? What is that? They well, what they should understand about Napster is that you got Sean Parker, who was recruited by the CIA as a teenager. He supposedly said, no, I don't want to do that. Did some work for another company, made 80 grand, creates Napster. And then Napster eventually becomes what is Spotify. Uh, Sean Parker is the Justin Timberlake character 
in the social network, AKA he's one of the primary investors and steers of Facebook in the beginning as Thiel gets involved. Uh, he talks about how they knew that they were manipulating people um, and their emotions way back in the day when they were having these meetings and they did it anyway. So all this whistleblower bullshit is just bullshit all around. And he also ended up being a Bilderberg attendee. Now Thiel, of course, is a steering member. So you had this, think about that. The, the guy that created Napster, that venture eventually becomes Spotify. He, he has influence and investments in Facebook as it's growing, right? And he's a Bilderberg guy and no one knows who he is. Yeah, well, I mean, maybe because he created Napster, that's why they he, they gave him all that access, you think? Because, I mean, you know, he, well, he got recruited by the CIA prior too. we forgot. We'd like to tell that part of the story again. Like, so think you, about think, that. you think they probably created the program and just used him as a fall guy? I mean, that's basically. I think that once you, you are on the CIA's radar, uh, whether or not you like it, you probably end up working for them or doing their bidding, right? Probably. Because it doesn't have to be the, let, let's say they're telling the truth. And he's telling the truth that oh, the CIA tried to recruit me. And I said, no. Okay. Do you think they just gave up or that they have a ton of front organizations that then hired you to do the same exact thing? Right. Well, it's like Anderson Cooper was in, Oh, I just worked for him in college and stopped working for him. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's a mockingbird media. We know that they have CIA <laughs> agents in all of the television, radio news and film stations across you know the world. I mean, you look at this and yeah, it is uh, international. You look at somebody like Bill Barr, you know, that's something I focused on today while I hosted the fourth hour of the Alex Jones show, uh, where the intelligence connections to Bill Barr prior to him becoming the attorney general under Trump, a, a huge failure of the Trump administration, uh, the connections to him and uh, Robert Mueller covering up the BCCI banking scandal that nobody is akin to. For those that don't know what that is. Um, long before Bernie Madoff, BCCI came out and it was basically the people that were laundering money via Iran, Contra, other South American drug lords, um, you know, big, big players throughout, including the Bin Laden network. OK, and the people that cleaned that up were Robert Mueller and Bill Barr. And Bill <laughs> Barr's dad hired Jeffrey Epstein. You know that, too. Yeah, the Dalton School thing uh, is well, here's the thing. It's a possibility. It's never been proven one way or the other. Um, but what we can say, and, and I'm not saying that obviously uh, Bill Barr's father worked at the Dalton school. There is uh, there are people that contend that he may not have been there when Epstein was hired. That doesn't mean that he wasn't. But what we can tell you is that Bill Barr, who was lifelong CIA. OK, he was a CIA agent prior to passing the bar exam and becoming a lawyer. OK. He, after leaving the CIA, ended up working for private firms. One of those private firms was Kirkland and Ellis. And Kirkland and Ellis represented Epstein during the uh, Miami Beach debacle. Uh, so he actually talked about possibly recusing himself of that case. Now, remember, it came out in the media that supposedly Alex Acosta, who also a big failure of the Trump administration, was the labor secretary at the time. And he was the guy that cut Epstein that deal. It started to come out in the media that it was because it was above his pay grade and that Epstein was part of intelligence. At least that's and all, what was being all Alex Acosta got was an email supposedly telling him to do that. And that's all it took. Well, let's discuss something really quick yeah. about that. Alex Acosta got asked the question in the media about that connection. And he said he was aware of the story. He talked around it and he basically said, don't believe everything you read in the media, but he never said, no, that's not the case. 
Within 48 hours, he was arm in arm with Trump on television resigning. Do you think that's a coinky dink? You know what I mean? Of course it's not. The thing is, there are limited burns once information comes out. And right now with this Ghislaine Maxwell trial, for instance, I think Ghislaine's going to get some time. Uh, I think uh, Peter Nygaard is going to get some time and Jean-Luc Brunel will never get Wexner. They're not going beyond this. They don't want to explore big tech, government, large pedophilia rings. We don't want Abramovich. Well, forget about the occultism stuff. And, you know, it's funny. Uh, I don't know if you follow uh, Big Fish on Twitter, a.k.a. at Trey Billion, do you? I don't think so. No, no. But I follow. I need to. I follow. I, lo- I, mean, I follow everybody I can. I need to follow him. Well, tell me about well, the reason I bring him up is because he's done a lot of great work uh, through that Twitter account across the board, uh, posting reality based stories on high level sex abuse, whether it be um, the Pizzagate scandal, which uh, we're especially going to get into uh, with him. Uh, but he's also done great stuff on Nexium and, of course, the Epstein case. Now, the way I came across him, uh, because you brought up Marina Abramovich, I'm just I'm just going to bring up the, this fact, these facts, you know. He's an anonymous guy. He did my show, but what he didn't do anonymously um, was put out tapes of him, audio tapes of him talking to police officers about how he had provided them access to uh, the Comet Ping Pong computer. I want to be very careful how we word this because we're not trying to get anybody in trouble. But the fact of the matter was that this gentleman who's done a great job and he's done, he's done my show and he did my show after I had listened to these tapes. They are out there. You and can this guy find supposed them. To got access to the hard drive, see the computers of the comic that's, ping pong. Cause that's where they say the files were and where the trading and all this stuff was going down. Supposedly. I mean, again, let's not speculate beyond I what speculate I speculate a lot. I, I guess you don't speculate. My show is all speculation, rumor and innuendo like professional wrestling, but go ahead. Sorry, yeah, Jason. I did not. And okay, yeah. I can tell you this. He claimed um, that indeed there was a ton of illegal material. We'll leave it at that on that um, hard drive. Which is not and a surprise. He- just just looking at their art art that they posted on their social media, you know that was uh, pretty edgy. So I could imagine what they have hidden behind password and uh, protected folders. And he provided that information on how to get access to that to the DCPD. All right, and. It wasn't until after the incident of the person going in with the gun and allegedly shooting the computer. False by the way, well, I'm just saying, I'm not saying, listen, I'm going to stick to what I can prove. Okay. And this is what I can prove. That person went in there. He shot the computer. And James Alephantis is on camera showing a news agency the computer that he shot. There is a small bullet hole through the case of the computer. It does not even appear that the hard drive had been damaged. And even if it was, remember they recovered pieces of hard drive material uh, from the World Trade Center when people were literally dustified. So let me me get to my point here. They obviously never, um, never looked or did look at the hard drive or never did anything. So once this happened, Big Fish contacted the, now he had already had email exchanges with the police officers that were provable. But he then contacted the um, officer in which he gave the information to via phone and taped their conversations and put them out there. And you can tell that that man got that information, knows damn well what Big Fish is talking about, because if he did that and and this wasn't the case, he'd be in jail, Big Fish would. okay? And he knows right now, he's like, well, why isn't anything being done? 
And you know what? He just can't comment, blah, blah, blah. Doesn't want to comment. Not saying this guy's a liar. Not saying that he didn't do this. So I want that to sink into people because there might be a lot of rumor and innuendo. But if you want a thread of information that is going to be very, very reliable on the Epstein case in Nexium and uh, the weird occultism on this stuff, all of it at Trey Billion. You know, I can't recommend it enough. And uh, the guy, in my opinion, he he made it no longer about any type of speculation to me. You know what I mean? And I looked at that stuff and a lot of it was grotesque. And obviously, you can only look at it so long. You can't really look at a lot of that. Even just the stuff that's, you know, the surface level, not deep. It's still very traumatizing and low vibrational energy. It's bad. It's tough, man. It's, it's not funny. It's dark. It's beyond dark to me, especially when you understand what those true intentions are. And um, that just sealed the deal for me. When I, when I listened to those phone conversations, that was it. I was like, okay, well, no doubt about it, that this, this guy's a, a verifiable a demon. So that's my opinion on the case based on the evidence that I know is out there. And uh, I, I couldn't recommend somebody more to follow other than uh, there's a couple other good ones. Obviously, Maria Farmer, who is the uh, first victim to go to the police in 96 uh, about Epstein, went to the FBI, NYPD, nothing was done. That didn't even become public knowledge in 2017 uh, at Artistic Whistleblower. That's another really good thread. And then uh, right now at Tracker Trial. Uh, they've done a really good job just of the Ghislaine Maxwell case. That is good. And trial Ghislaine, I believe, is their like backup account. Uh, it's really good. They're, they're doing really good information. But don't, don't you, do you think that Jeffrey Epstein was a Mossad agent and that maybe they were working for uh, uh, Ghislaine Maxwell's dad, Robert Maxwell? So I've been I actually did a thing on this uh, on Jones today and I've talked about it on Allison Morrow yesterday. I think it's uh, more ex extensive than that. I don't think he was just Mossad. It's probably CIA Mossad. I think British intelligence is in there, much like uh, Maxwell's father. And one of the things that I point to, uh, Alex, is that this network, this real deep state network that we talk about, when you look at Iran Contra, it's in my film, Invisible Empire, A uh, New World Order to Find. Anybody can go watch that film for free. And when you look at what Iran Contra was doing, what did you what did you have? You had Israelis buying the weapons from Czechoslovakia and Poland, then shipping those weapons down to South America. Then it was the U.S. planes that would take the drugs up into uh, Florida and Mena, Arkansas. And, and they, they would, would drop them off in California to freeway Ricky Ross and in Miami. Well, yeah. they would be distributed all over. But you know what? But I'm not sure if they're. But they would just drop them off in, in U-Haul trucks full of cocaine because the people that Freeway Ricky Ross or these big drug, drug distributors, they never knew who the top people were. And they were CIA agents, Jason. You know that, Oliver North. I'm just saying. That's all the CIA had to do is literally – that's the only connection they had to do is drop a U-Haul full of drugs and say, hey, give us our money, You know, drop off our money. And these dope dealers would do it. And if they wouldn't do it, the CIA could do whatever the fuck they want. I mean, they could get their money back. It's pretty crazy. But the reason I, I mentioned those two places in particular is because that's where they were flying because they did get distributed throughout the country. And we know and the Mina, Clintons covered up Arkansas. Sorry, sorry, go ahead. Exactly. And Mena, Arkansas is where the Clintons really uh, cut their teeth under the Bush cartel at the time. George H.W. Bush um, was a vast part of that operation. And even the cover-up crew, uh, Lee uh, Camp, or not, I'm sorry, not Lee Camp. Uh, I like Lee Camp. Um, what's his name? Lee Hamilton who also headed up the 9-11 commission. He was one of the uh, main yeah. guys uh, with Iran Contra. So anyway, they would sell the drugs and then the money from those drugs, that would go back to the Israelis. So that network was already in operation. And then um, you had Seymour Hirsch, who had written this book 
about Robert Maxwell, who's supposedly a media baron, right, mm-hmm. out in the UK, about his links to British and Israeli intelligence. Of course, is the father of Ghislaine Maxwell. And I, I actually showed today on the Jones show, and I showed it uh, on Alison Morrow, all these articles attacking Hirsch, saying that he fell for a hoax, and this isn't real, and Robert Maxwell's going to sue him, and he did sue him. So that's in 91 when that happens. So by 1994, um, Robert Maxwell's dead and Robert Maxwell has either fallen off a boat or something else. The Lady Ghislaine, by the way. Yeah, Lady Ghislaine oh, boat, yeah. Lady Ghislaine. <laughs> and uh, on top of that, Alex, they had to issue an apology. And it's it's almost comical, but and none of this is funny because it's all so dark. We kind of talk about it, but you, you got to have gallows humor. It is funny. Uh, That's the thing is, it, uh, sadly, we have a dark sense of humor that we just kind of have to understand that this crap is dark. It, you know, sometimes it's humorous because it's so, reality is stranger than fiction is what I'm trying to say. And it's crazy. Absolutely. So as you see here, this is when they actually have to print it in 94. And after Maxwell says, U.S. author gets apology and libel case. If you notice... This is it's a sidebar article in the middle of the paper when they were running headlines of hoaxing and mirrorgate and, you know, Hirsch is a liar. So even when they apologized, then the fake news media would just be like, yeah, we kind of messed it up. I guess he was a Mossad agent. Yikes. How about that? You know, and then you kind of never hear of it again. So even in 9-11, you know, if you watch my film Fabled Enemies, I, I tell people that. And again, what were they hiding in BCCI? That money movement. Right. So the BCCI scandal also with uh, bin Laden and bin Laden's network is working with the ISI. Right. The And that's Pakistani. So we get to 9-11 and, you know, I always tell people it's not an inside job. You had role players in Saudi Arabia, Pakistan, Israel and within our own continuity of government program. And that's operationally. That's not talking about the international media suppression and things like that. I'm talking about operationally. You can prove money management movement. Um, when we talk about the continuity of government, well, I, I, program- I want to bring that up because a lot of people want to strictly blame Israel. And you know, in the truther community that a lot of that, you know, that anti-emitism, I don't, I don't want to say the word cause you get a strike You know, I don't want to bring that up. And, and listen, there's not one group of people that are responsible for all of our problems. Anybody thinks that's insane, but there are insane people in the world. That's okay. But uh, but so this is the point I want to make. Saudi Arabia had to cover up. These guys were all from Saudi Arabia, so they had to give patsies up. They did that on purpose because if we destabilize the Middle East, they know Saudi Arabia is only going to grow stronger from the destabilization of their, I guess you could say, people that they compete with. Um, but I guess it's not really a, a competition because it's all rigged in their favor. It's much like Israel's. Uh, but you know, I just want to make that point that there's a lot of countries in concert, uh, including the United States, that had to make 9-11 go down. It wasn't just Israel. No, of course not. So, like, let's talk about um, let's talk about all the roles. Right. They like uh, give you a little preview of the film Fabled Enemies. Again, anyone can watch my stuff for free. They're in the playlist section. Uh, anyone can just look me up. You're going to find it. So you look you at can't Saudi find Arabia. Jason, you're not looking hard enough, guys. OK, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> But you talk you talk about Saudi Arabia and how the majority of them came from Saudi Arabia. Now, why is that 17 of the 19 official hijackers came from Saudi Arabia? Well, if you believe Michael uh, J. Springman, and he's in my film, Fabled Enemies, he was at the, um, the visa office. And he was being told in the 90s uh, where he would blow the whistle and resign to be giving uh, passports to people he would later find out were in the bin Laden network to the United States that should never have been given these passports. So why do that? Well, because 
He later found out that was a central intelligence agency run embassy. So they were deciding who was getting in and out. The Saudi Arabians have had a cozy relationship uh, with the Bush family, especially the bin Laden family, who are basically oligarchs there. Well, that's right? like Benghazi. Benghazi is giving out phony passports too, supposedly. Go ahead. Sorry. You yeah. know, that's what and they do. By the way, Epstein, they find a Saudi Arabian passport. Uh, and an Israeli issue- passport. He had both, I believe. Didn't he have both? Well, he had. So I believe that it was given from Austria, according to Whitney Webb and, <laughs> and some others. I don't know that it was Israeli. I, okay. He's been to Israel. Yeah, but it was a Saudi Arabian uh, address and separate identity okay. that was not him. Yeah, okay? not him. Yeah, this is how we do this, man. They, they, like again, it takes more than one nation state and more than one group for things to make this work. So you get those people over uh, from the network. You still need people within the FBI, right, informants and otherwise, to give people like Khalid El Madar uh, shelter. You need, you still need other people in the CIA to turn a blind eye. When uh, Deborah Albright calls the CIA on Walid Al Shiri and his cell, you still need people. Well, Mohammed Atta F- was snorting cocaine. I mean, you know that airport in Florida was a coke. It was a drug. You know that goes back to the CIA. That was just another drug airport. That private airport in Florida. You know they were doing air uh, a pilot training. Yeah, right. Give me a break. I mean, that's such a joke. Well, you're talking about. Um, the hopsicker research and there's more out there, but uh, Venice flying circus. And they were um, in relation to this very shady character, Rudy Deckers at the time, uh, Otta's girlfriend, who was a stripper actually had gone public and other witnesses thought that he, they were he maybe- disabled her cats. I got cats everywhere. Jason, I'm the biggest cat lover in the world. And I almost think what Muhammad Atta did was worse for those cats because he was a patsy for nine 11. He probably didn't know he was going to do the nine 11 thing, but I'm even more disgusted. He cut up her kitten and left her parts all throughout her apartment. Uh, because she dumped him, and he was a huge cokehead, so he obviously wasn't some sort of strict Islamic uh, practicing Muslim, which is, you know. Well, on top of that, you had a lot of these guys that were trained at U.S. military bases, right? You had uh, the Defense Language School uh, vice chancellor come forward and state that uh, five of the people were from there and that Bush knew the attacks were going to happen and allowed them to happen. Now, I think that's rather simplistic. I don't think that George Bush is actually involved in anything. You know, he's more referring to the administration or whoever's in charge, just like Zombie Jay is obviously not in charge because he couldn't run anything other than diarrhea down his left leg. Yeah. Let's I mean- be honest. We have it's a shadow bad. government. I mean, that's pretty obvious. Yeah, absolutely. So all these things, I mean, you also have James Woods, who's on a plane with Ada that they end up saying is actually a flight. Uh, which one is it? I believe it's flight 11, six months, uh, six weeks before it's in July. Doing I think a practice uh, run flight. It didn't make sense. Why were the terrorists in a different airport? You know, they, they, they all flew connecting flights into the towers. If, if, the, if, if I'm so, you know what? Let me walk that back a little because I got that wrong. Flight 11, Otta's supposedly the lead hijacker on. Okay. Now, this dry run that James Woods, the pilot, and a stewardess all file reports on, okay, has Khalid Al Madar, who will be the lead hijacker on 77, the one that hits the Pentagon in it. Uh, I believe it's Nawaf Al Hamzi. And then the other two individuals, they could not identify, right? But Woods said they were casing the plane. And I, and that's the thing. I think that they did have people that they, they were either running security drills. They were part of these massive war games, including Amalgam Virgo, Red and Blue teams, um, or, or some of them were intelligence, while others were just patsies that thought they were really going to hijack planes as well. But I think there's a lot going on, right? You have circles within circles, all that plausible deniability stuff. So, you know, Ada 
Yeah, you know, there were there were talks that he was even connected to people like Jack Abramoff and the Riverboat Casino scandal. We talk about coke running and intelligence networks, et cetera. That would make sense. Um, you had um, him also training at Maxwell Air Force Base. Otta's one of those people. So you have those. To me, consensus- it makes more sense that they would trick him to be cocaine drug dealer pilots instead of, hey, su- you're going to be suicide pilots. You know what I mean? It just seems like it'd be easier to get them motivated to train and learn how to do it. That's just my opinion. <laughs> well, not being a fan of the cocaine, I, I don't know that I agree, but I do know that there are no, fans. That's that- you give them the cocaine, they'll want to learn how to do it. Like, oh, I get free cocaine. All, all I got to do is learn how to fly. They'll learn how to take the plane apart. They'll learn how to put the wings together and enough cocaine, enough crack. They, they'll learn how to fly a, a space, a, a, the space shuttle. I mean, these guys with Muhammad Atta had figured out very easily with enough cocaine, I believe. <laughs> Good times, good times. But, you know, again, you have all these drills. We haven't even gotten to the Israeli aspects of this, right? So on top of that, you have Israeli, not only art students, but people uh, working at kiosks that seem to be shadowing some of the more important hijackers as this is happening. Uh, On the day of 9-11, you have multiple reports of vans with explosives in them. Uh, One team actually getting caught. Another team. On the bridge. Well, that there's that one. And then there's another one on King street where they have a recording. A lot of people haven't heard it. It's in fabled enemies. There's no video of it and no real record as to what happened after the fact, but they talk about how the van actually did explode. So this was not, they had, uh, you know, they, they followed these guys and I guess they beat them up on the sidewalk after the van exploded. So you had that incident too. A lot of people don't talk about. You have the multiple explosions that took place not only in the basement level of the World Trade Center prior to the uh, first plane striking, but also in the subway system. A lot of people don't talk about that as well. Those were there too. Um, whether or not those are connected to uh, the, the Israelis, the only way, the only reason I make that connection is because when you look at um, the art team that was in there we talk about these artists right there was a thing called gelatin you're talking about the art students on the 93rd floor a lot of people have no idea about this they they were doing you know uh you know art it's called the b thing and it was a a gelatin project it was was the name of the project i believe gelatin which is another word for uh, explosive gel and even more uh, odd they they were able to get one of the windows out of the world trade center and film it as it happened. And it just so happens that uh, one of the guys in that plane is uh, somebody who would later say that the Mossad was following him because of that incident. And he's uh, this eccentric uh, former multimillionaire who was part of the tech boom and basically thought of like a YouTube type formats before YouTube. It's there's a movie I would encourage you to watch Alex called uh, we all live in public. Uh, I think it's, it's either that, or we all live in public now and finding out that story, his name's Josh, something and it's or about other. the art students that lives on the 93rd floor. Oh, it's about this. It's even wilder. So this guy was a guy that had basically predicted the surveillance state, tried to get video going before the bandwidth and the infrastructure was there, but still made tons of money because so many people were investing and so much so that he started an underground New York city project project where he took like, I think more than a hundred people and just started filming them underground. And basically on the eve of, I think 
doing uh, performance art, some sort of performance art or something. Well, he filmed everybody. It was it. Well, there was performance art involved, but he also brought in like CIA interrogators. So here's the craziest thing. You're going to love this one. The guy who I credit with um, the beginnings of the no plane movement, which I'm highly against the holograms and all that is a guy named Nico hopped. Okay. And he is the one that got with Judy wood and they kind of combined and ghost plane and hologram plane and all these things. And I had met hopped before he did this. This is in the back in the day when I first met uh, Luke Radowski before we are change existed at New York, nine 11 truth. And he talked about this guy, Josh, I can't remember what his last name is, but that's who we're talking about and him being part of this project. But I didn't really understand what it was. And I was just like, okay, whatever. Years later, I see this movie where they're underground doing this crazy stuff. There's a CIA interrogator uh, filming and there's Nico hopped and Nico hops being interrogated in his underwear. And the guy tells him to get naked and he strips down to his dick and cheese (laughs) And and does exactly and what he says. Like, art, or this is in some sort of interrogation for what? This is a real, this is a real CIA so, interrogation. So and, and you see the declassified video of his dick and balls? Declassified. Oh. So, what I'm, all right, so let, let me explain this. So the documentary about Josh is called We All Live in Public. Okay. And a large okay. portion of that documentary takes place in this underground facility that Josh buys. Okay? It only gets taken out because they have a large gun range underneath. They're firing off crazy amounts of weapons and it becomes New Year's time of 2000, the turn of the century. And they were so scared that they were gonna have like a heaven's gate thing go on that the police went down in there and just kicked everybody out. What I'm telling you is that this guy who was doing this and had crazy, you gotta watch the movie, but had all these crazy pods and stuff going on. has the guy who's behind the no plane theory in it well before 9-11 being interrogated by a real ex-CIA officer because he brought these guys in. You know, he was trying to break people and do all this crazy stuff. And Hopped is one of the people being broken and stripping down naked in front of the CIA officer in the movie. So So do you think that the CIA created the no plane theory? Is that what you're saying? It's kind of insinuating in a way. I I don't think that's there, but I think that they may have exploited um, a very mentally unstable individual that they'd already figured out they could influence. Right. Like, okay. Let's talk about the no planes because I, to be honest, Jason, I mean, I believe the towers are wired. Listen, I just say, I believe the towers are wired. Well, 33 years before, I believe when the Rockefellers, you know, broke ground on it, they knew that those towers were going to come down. That's just my conspiracy, the tinfoil hat. And at the same time with the planes, I know that that wasn't an American Airlines plane from the footage that well, I've seen. And the way the, but and sure. the way the planes went into the building looks goofy as hell. So this is what I'm saying. I'm not saying you couldn't fly something into a plane, but maybe it wasn't a plane. I'm saying maybe it was a. You, you're sure that in your in your personal opinion, you think that 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 was, was the exact American Airlines plane, like they say. That- no, no, no. I, I actually think that the evidence shows that the planes used were not the. Um, American and United planes, they said. They were not commercial uh, but, flights. No way. They did not look well, like commercial it, Again, you're running drills that morning, for instance. The NRA, NRO is running drills of at 8.46 in the morning, a plane hitting uh, the building of the CIA. A lot of people don't know this, but Paris Glendening, who was the governor of Maryland, got a sheet of paper um, that was delivered to uh, law enforcement uh, earlier in the morning of uh, like 11 targets and the Pentagon, the world trade center was on there. 
Uh, I have that in Fabled Enemies. Sears and Tower. This is a so drill? And this is a drill or this is a real thing that well, the government that morning, Law enforcement got, that wasn't part of the drill. Like they had actually gotten the targets that were there. Well, it's, um, it's, it's spooky when you listen to the air traffic controllers and they're like, is this a drill or is this real life when you're hearing this? The, they're the running the drills that morning and the drills for them in that office were supposed to take place about a half an hour later. So they ask if this drill has started early and that's out of upstate New York. I was one of the first people uh, outside of Vanity Fair to get those. And that's where it was revealed. Uh, a lot of people like to say that the drill stopped right after the plane started, the first plane hit. That's just not the case. Um, in fact, the, the drills do not stop until 20 minutes after the incident of United 93. And the reason I know this, again, it's in Fabled Enemies. Anybody can go watch it, um, is they contact Cheyenne Mountain. And Cheyenne Mountain, which is an underground facility where you can basically um, just have people warded off from the entire world. Anybody can look like it up. Like the Denver airport or something. It's like an underground, deep, dumb, a dumb, deep underground military base. Yes, this is a legit, you know, Lord knows what's going on over at the, at, at the uh, airport, but this is legit. And they stay on the line and they go, hey, we need you to stop with these inputs. And the inputs are fake hijackings that aren't happening. Okay. And that's a big, big issue or phantoms. So even during the 9-11 commission, Robert Myers, who, who was the head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and many others had to admit that they were following many phantoms that day. They had hijackings all over. And I think that some of them were simply inputs. I think others were obviously drone aircraft of different varieties. And that's probably what we saw here that were being controlled by other drills that have either been uh, only partially declassified or not declassified at all. Yeah, I mean, uh, to to me, I think that they probably flew like some sort of predator drone or something. I don't know what the hell well, they I think flew. It was a, they were drones accompanied with explosives. Uh, for instance, you know, you look at the uh, first uh, video of the first plane hitting, and there's clearly a large flash that is before the nose. That's why it was put in the original loose change. Uh, and but then see, you that look looks at, fake as crap to me. That nose cone coming out of the other end, you think it would come out like that no, 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 through no, a football field of concrete and steel? So that's not the uh, video I'm talking about. That's that's a side video of the second plane that you're discussing. The the quote unquote nose cone out. Um, I, you know, I've seen all this stuff, but the first one I'm talking about before the first plane hits, Flight 11, the fireman's video, the Naude brothers video. There's clearly a flash. And the flash goes away. And then the nose, you can see on the shadow of the plane, still has not even hit the plane. And then you watch um, the second plane hit. And although I believe Loose Change has four of the videos of the flash, which is on the lower side, um, which seems to be in conjunction with a large apparatus that should not be there, um, that they later uh, claim as part of the fuselage, although I do not believe that. There's also a flash to the right-hand side. There's actually a fifth video that you can see from across the bridge where you can barely see the plane um, as it enters the uh, field of view of the World Trade Center because of the similarity and the darkness of the towers and that, you can still see the flash. So I think that what you had there was probably a drone fitted uh, with some kind of a trigger missile. That's a theory, that's me speculating based on what I've seen. Uh, I don't shy away from that. Um, I think it's important because a lot of people want to take me to task or, you know, within the truth movement that won't, you know, talk about controlled demolition or what I just talked about. They want to make me, um, you know, basically say I was wrong and I'm a hoaxer and a grifter. I'm always going to be honest. Right. And the truth and community I, is so toxic though, Jason, I wouldn't even worry about that, dude. I mean, that's what well, I'm no, learning. Like, doing for, this for 
Yeah. I worry about staying honest with myself. And if you can provide me information that will change my opinion, I get things wrong all the time. I admit to getting them wrong. I happen to be a human being. Um, but I'm also pretty thorough and I, I, I walk the walk, man. I do what I say. I, I read these documents. I watch these videos. I spend time. I'm in the editing room and, um, I don't play sides. I'm not a conservative. I'm not a liberal. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm not a truther. I'm a guy that's concerned about what's going on in the world. And I'm trying to tell the truth. That's all I am. I'm just a regular dude. I want to have some, I want to have a shock top pretzel beer tonight with my buddies. Maybe go get some chicken wings over at Hooters and, and live the dream. My friend, that's that is all. the dream A shock top beer and some chicken wings at Hooters. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. That is America as, as America gets. Okay. But let me tell you a little bit about, because I only get to chop it up with you so much. So what I believe is I believe nine 11 was planned, you know, a long time in advance, basically to, you know, uh, for whatever reason, to destabilize the country, to bring us into the new world order, to start the Patriot Act 2.0, knowing that they can have the warrantless search and seizure of our phones and internet. And I believe what is happening now is going to put us on the Patriot Act 2.0 with the contact tracing apps. And we're going to actually give them access to our text messages and to our, you know, emails and to our browser history in order to safety. So people know we're not looking up, you know, how to uh, subvert the government or how to, you know, subvert a corona, blah, 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 blah. So what I'm saying, is 9-11 was very important they had to do it and uh uh i believe and i would like to get your opinion on this i believe some people say not that many people died because there's articles saying after it you know that that a lot of the hospitals were empty but i believe after 1993 when the when they had the first bombing and uh, most of the tenants left there's only a few bankers in there that had special bank vaults basically that was one of the main reasons they stayed in there because it had irreparable asbestos in the towers we know that and it was not wired for high-speed internet so it's like they kind of knew that this building was it was archaic so that's why a lot of the tenants didn't go back in after 93 so i believe that not other than the collateral damage of the buildings falling, I don't believe a lot of people worked in that tower. And and you know who I feel sorry for? The guys like Oreo Palmer, the 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 firefighters. Those are the people that died. Those are the people that took the brunt. I think a lot of the people, the tenants of the building, got out and didn't die. What do you think about that? Uh, uh, in your opinion? Well, let me say this. I think uh, I think the number is probably pretty accurate with the amount of people that lives were saved. If it was only, you know, 2,700 plus at the World Trade Center, that's actually really small. I've been that is small. Trade in New York City, a, a car could blow up and kill a hundred person. You know what I'm saying? A small explosion well, could kill I'm a lot of people. I'm saying in that area. Well, let's, first of all, let's, let's, before we get to that question, you talked about the 93 bombing, right? Yeah. And I think it's really important for people to understand that the 93 bombing does not happen without the FBI and U.S. intelligence. Are you aware? Well, I, I didn't. Story. I mean, I, I'm sure it was in, the, the bombing was an inside job, but I'd explain explain how the connection maybe, to. Uh, maybe we should play the clip for the folks out there, and maybe I, I can find it really quickly. But what the story you're going to see uh, is a pretty shocking one if you don't know it. Basically, what had happened is that the FBI is right here had recruited a um, Egyptian army officer named uh, Ahmed Salam. Okay. And this Egyptian army officer starts to infiltrate another Middle Eastern group, uh, this time the blind Sheikh and his buddies, okay? And he was working at a hotel at the time, a guy named John Antisev and his partner, I think it's Susan, I forget what her name is, uh, recruits him. All of a sudden, they want uh, him to make a real bomb. 
And he's like, whoa, the Egyptian, whoa. Guy, the Egyptian military guy. They went, yeah, I've heard this story. Okay. Yeah. And he's a, but he tells him he is a bomb expert, right? Well, well, uh, we're just going to end up playing, uh, the, the phone call. I, I could play more, but I think the phone call will say it all. Uh, he got smart enough to start taping his phone calls with these people before he built the bomb. And so I want to, I want to reiterate this. The bomb that went off in the World Trade Center in 1993 was built by an FBI informant under the supervision of the FBI, and I have the audio to prove it. The only reason, and by the way, had they been successful, 9-11 would be chump change. What do I mean? Okay. The reason that it only cost eight lives is because the people that drove the van um, were verifiably retarded. I, I, sh- I know I shouldn't use well, the... No, you can use that on my show, but wait, wait, wait. you're telling me that the bombs had enough explosives? I thought they weren't even powerful enough to blow the building, so no, they were. Okay, right. go ahead. I'm just interested. First, yeah. <laughs> the reason that they, it didn't do any damage is because these, these guys had like 70 IQs. It did a little they, damage for the people at home. I know you know, but I'm saying it did a, they had to fill, they had to fix a, a little bit, right? I mean, I know order, that. In order for this to work the way they wanted it to work, which was to bring um, the twin towers down from its base, right? Cause they were in the parking garage is they had to park it up against the main column. Okay. And that if the main column blew in this area, there would be enough, not uh, enough peripheral damage that the idea was this thing was going to tip over. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now it had, had even physics, you know, gone the way you thought on 9-11 and a large portion of well, either building. Well, they wanted building, to break the foundation so it didn't have anything to rest on, basically, right? And it uh, would just tip over, blow yeah. up and tip over. You would add twenty five to 50,000 people dead. Well, because the that, buildings are built, especially that one is built to sway a little bit. So I guess they think the momentum, you know, from crashing, you know, from it having that explosion there is enough to tip it over. Well, if you look at how, again, the World Trade Center was built with its core, you know, it had that core infrastructure. And if you're in the main column in the core and you blow that out and then the core columns around it, no, the, the bottom, the outer structure that they always talk about for the world trades wouldn't have been able to hold it up. It would have bent over and done it. They didn't park it in the right place, not anywhere close. So they did massive damage, but because the core was so powerful and it didn't damage the core, that's not what happened. So let's just, let's just play the tape for everybody here of the FBI uh, admitting to the fact that they cooked the bomb this with his FBI handler, John Antisev, was released years after the trial. You got paid regularly for, for good information. I mean, the expenses were a little bit out of the ordinary and it was really questioned. Don't tell me I told you. But when I have to tell her, of course. Well, then if you have to, you have to. Yeah, because, I mean, the lady was being honest and I was being honest and everything was submitted with a receipt. Yeah. And now it's questionable. It's not questionable. It's like a little out of ordinary. Okay. You know, all right. I don't think it was. If that's what you think, that is fine. But I don't think that because we was start already building the bomb, which is went off in the World Trade Center. It was built by uh, uh, supervising uh, supervision from the bureau and the TA, and we was all informed about it. And we know that the bomb start to be built by who? By your confidential informant. What a wonderful, great case. So there you go. Uh, <laughs> you know, and that didn't come out for years. I put that in my film, uh, Invisible Empire in 2010. I think it finally uh, came out in like 2008, you know, 15 years after the fact. And it was, you know, very, very small amounts of those phone conversations. Lord knows what else he taped these people doing. Uh, but in that respect, 
Uh, I'd like to say, I agree with you. I think they did plan on this a, a long time before to take those down for whatever reasons. And look, I do explore the uh, kind of occultic stuff or the fun you have stuff. Too. If you know Marina Bromovich and all this stuff, you know all that stuff too, Jason. You're trying to play coy. You know all that stuff. Don't don't give me that a babe in the woods routine. One of, yeah. one of the things that I do do every once in a while, I haven't finished it up yet, but this was a sealed, it's actually a signed Wait, copy. Show it better. We can't see it. Put it in front of your face. That's awesome. Illuminati card game. That's awesome. Yes. So like this was not cheap. This is actually signed by uh, Derek Piercy, one of the creators. Ah, that's I awesome. Get the creator on there. Um, but we've gone card by card. I'm wearing the glove because again, not cheap. We want to keep it as. In- <laughs> you don't get this, the finger acids on it. Oh, and yeah. I don't sweat. That's why you wear the glove. Look at it. I love it. Oh yeah, I've seen you where you do the pull cards. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I've seen you do this. Yes. Let's let's see. If we we'll we'll pull a card for yes. Conspiracy Castle right here. Please. We got- Okay, we got, it looks like some kind of shamanic stuff. It's Hail Iris. So, yes, this is some kind of a goal. (laughs) I don't know. Like I said, there's some goopy stuff in here, but there's also the World Trade Center stuff, the Pentagon stuff, the the stuff that makes you go, hmm, the uh, kind of like uh, synchronicity stuff. And we explore that too, because you can't take yourself too seriously. We are in extremely serious times. Uh, I don't want to make light of that. But at the same time, if you can't have fun, if I can't watch the UFC fights, um, if I can't go to the park with my niece, why Why is this? We can't go to the movies to go see the new Ghostbusters. Why is it worth it, right? What are we really fighting for? Well, we should, so, make, we should make a little light of it. Okay, before you go there, Jason, I got to have you back on because we didn't even get into so much stuff. But I want to I want to uh, circle back to the, the Israeli art students because that's such an important thing for people to look up. The fact that real estate was so expensive and they just let in one of the most securitized buildings in the world, these art students just live on the 93rd floor and like supposedly take out glass planes, uh, you know, and do art like that. I just believe that those are the people that planted the explosives. I think it's very clear. Clear. And so I know, I mean, maybe not. I'm just saying, you see the boxes. Uh, I just, I, you know, again, with these intelligence links, and there are those pictures of the boxes that look like C4. Um, I, you know, I think that there's a possibility, um, not of a team of two, but using them as assets with things like Securicom, which remember that was one of the security firms that was there prior to 9 11 that was connected to uh, the Bush family. There's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of opportunity. And even the fact that afterwards you have Silverstein properties and Kroll and all of them discussing security uh, in the Dark Overlord documents opens Silverstein up. Silverstein a- got two insurance checks, guys, for two different. He didn't just get one. He got $7 billion, or I guess it was 5.26, I believe, after however it worked out. But, you know, he he sued for over $7 billion. And uh, and you look at the guys who benefited the most from this, uh, Lucky Larry Silverstein. But before you go, I want to say this. Uh, uh, I believe the Israeli art students are more of a smoking gun than Tower 7. But if somebody's new to truth here that's watching this, I mean, that's debatable. A lot of this stuff's debatable. But, Jason, we got to do another show soon. we got to do something again. We'll talk about 9-11 again, you know, on Rockfin, where we can even go maybe more deep than, you know, being on YouTube. But I just want to say it's a pleasure. I thank you for all your research and everything you do. I know you like to, you know— be a hundred percent, you know, uh, I have the evidence to prove it with me. I need, my evidence is a lot looser and a lot faster. We are the tinfoil hat community. We are the conspiracy castle. So I appreciate you coming down to the castle, to the dungeon and, uh, mucking around with a muckraker like myself, Jason, I appreciate it. I appreciate it, brother. And, uh, you have a, a great weekend, Alex this is a fun show. You do the same. All right, guys. Thank you guys. And make sure to like it and subscribe, uh, please. If you guys don't mind and, uh, uh Jason's links are in the description. Peace guys. See ya.
Shout out my nigga, he big on conspiracy R.I.P. Keller, we feeling your spirit I had to put this shit up on the internet Cause I know they wanna take it so serious I told a hater he don't wanna listen He better go take up his ears Michelle Obama is a boy We don't Jamaica no tears Obama a gay Jiggas, I'm joking on me, I don't never be serious Alistair 99 that my nigga for real Yeah, I fuck with my peers Had to make me a channel to talk about the real Cause I know they gon' hear it Alistair 99 that my nigga for real Nah, 